can't get enough of football? Chance, goal, superhuman, special, special goal. Incredible, just incredible. Now you can get the inside look. Welcome to Football Insiders, your home for informed, insightful and independent opinion, news and talk on football from the team behind Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival. Oh, what an introduction! Welcome to another edition of Football Insiders, the home of Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival. Today we're speaking with someone a little different, a player agent or as they're now called a FIFA intermediary. Peter Paleologos, who is also the author of the Australian Youth Footballer Regulatory Guide, which we published earlier this year. Here's our chat with Peter. And let me first add that we've had a few technical problems today, so the sound quality may not be the same as usual. But listen anyway, it's a great chat. So, Peter, welcome to Football Insiders Podcast. Thank you, Benita. Thanks for the opportunity to come on the program. Now, I guess one of the first questions we've been asking lots of people, especially all our friends in Melbourne, is, um, you know, you're into, I've even lost count of which week you're into, but you're into still in lockdown. How are you and your family coping with it? Um, I've been home seven months, about oh. seven months, from the office, say. Um, we, we've, we've been actually, uh, my wife as well has also been um, working from home. Um, we balance things, the kid with, um, work. Um, we live in an area where there's a lot of parks, so that helps. We go for a lot of walks. Um, but also, um, we're very lucky to also be employed. We've both got also full-time jobs, plus I have the player agent business. So we're one of the fortunate ones. Um, a lot of people are in very difficult situation in Melbourne because of various reasons, jobs, businesses, very difficult, and also the lockdown being 5K, so you can't move five kilometres. That makes it quite difficult. Um, we're quite fortunate, but I know a lot of people and I speak to a lot of people that um, they are finding it very tough, especially a lot of younger people. And if, as we're going to move on to football, a lot of, a lot of teams aren't playing yet, so we don't have NPL, for instance. Whereas you have that in Sydney and Brisbane, they're playing in Adelaide. In with, so both um, MPL, senior players, junior players, women's players, community football, a lot of people have missed opportunities. So that's also, that's had a, a big impact uh, yeah. uh, in relation to that. So um, it's been very difficult. Hopefully we're moving to the, towards the end of it, towards more of a COVID normal, but um, it's step by step at the moment. So hopefully we get there. Yes, it's been quite a year for, well, for everyone, really. Everyone has a, a COVID tale by now. But, um, you know, when you think of the impact on football and young footballers, and particularly in Victoria, where it's been so difficult to have get a game, and um, also schooling. You know, there are some kids who just haven't been to school this year. It's quite incredible. And, and sort of planning for that for next year, whether it be community sport or, or school or whatever, it's going to be a huge adjustment for everybody. But let's get on to, I was going to say bigger and brighter things, but then I thought, oh, no, we're talking about football. <laughs> but let's talk about football. And as you said, you you know, you're, you you work full time, but you also are a player agent. Um, and it's been a very busy period lately. What, what are some of the implications of COVID for your work as a player agent and also what's some of the activity that's been happening lately? Basically, in terms of um, COVID, COVID's had a big impact on 
player agents, especially in Australia, and but also worldwide. I mean, the impact generally has been, first of all, you can't meet as many players in person, so you can't move around interstate. You can't meet uh, even locally because it's five kilometres. If you've got players at uh, Melbourne clubs, Melbourne Victory on the, or Melbourne City on the side of town, you can't really meet them. It's all by Zoom or phone calls. Also, it's had big impact on contracts and budgets where overseas a lot of um, salaries are, are coming down, maybe not at the elite level, but definitely in, um, in a lot of the European leagues and also the Asian leagues. There's also been the impact um, on opportunities. For instance, now with the A-League finishing, a lot of players want to have an opportunity to go overseas. And with the travel restrictions, with not being able to get an employment contract because you can't really go overseas to trial, it's very difficult to get uh, a border force approval. All these have had impacts. Um, I think on the women's side, though, has, it's been a little bit better because a lot of the Matildas and W players have been able to uh, get overseas contracts because there have been employment contracts and not trials. Um, but generally, the business has been affected on several fronts, monetary, opportunities, um, engaging with a lot of your overseas. I mean, I've travelled to a lot of overseas conferences. Um, I've gone to Y-Scout um, conferences to meet other agents and clubs. Those opportunities, although you've got Zoom, you don't have the, and they've sort of been affected as well. So the whole industry... It's been very difficult. In these difficult times, I think if you don't have overseas connections, especially in the international market, um, working with other agents or clubs, then it'd be very, very difficult because you can't travel and you can't be on the ground to meet people. So, yeah, that's it's COVID's had a very big impact. In relation to Australia, as we know, with the salary cap, it's been, been a big effect because of the turnover of clubs. It's looking like it's going to be $2.1 million. Um, that's going to have an impact on local players, but also international players. Um, if, so if you want to bring a player into Australia, um, then they have to be essential worker, have to be offered a contract. They may not be able to bring their family. And then we have the impact on, I think we mentioned earlier, on players, say, in Victoria, haven't played for a while, for six months, a year. Their football's fallen behind, so there's been a massive impact on that. It's, and as a player... You need to um, try to find a solution to that and to try to mentor them or keep them positive about what's going on in the game at the moment in these unique circumstances. Yeah, I, I mean, there's just so many issues there, but let's just talk about one. I, I guess that a lot of people listening to this will be interested in, and that's around the A-League. And, of course, we're all anxiously awaiting when that's going to start. You know, the, the official word is still December, but all the rumour mills suggest it's going to be into 2021 before that happens. Um, but with the salary cap of $2.1 million, we're seeing players being sold. I mean, there was, a, there was a whole bunch of players from Adelaide the other day and Adam LaFondra is now going overseas. Um, I guess that's all related to these issues that the A-League is facing. But what does it leave for the A-League? What are we going to have when the A-League starts again in terms of playing talent and playing opportunities? Um, in terms of playing talent, it's basically um, the players that want to stay in the competition but um, have to agree unilaterally with the club. So right now the CBA's uh, uh, negotiation with the CBA, we haven't seen the detail of that. The salary cap's come down to $2.1 million. Players do not... Uh, um, do not have to accept the pay cut. So unilaterally, 
um, the clubs can't cut their salaries. It's got to be mutually agreed. So the impact of this is um, a lot of players who uh, may be offered less or offered um, or been asked for a pay cut, if they see an opportunity overseas, they'll take it. Where that leaves the A-League is um, some players will stay because of various reasons, family, or they haven't got an overseas offer. Hopefully, some young players get an opportunity. We may see more youth players and NPL players. And in terms of overseas players, um, I don't know if they're going to retain the five visa spots. That may occur. But with, a, with, a, with 2.1 million, is not a lot of money to entice overseas players. We don't know if there is a, a, there's a, it's going to also be money for players outside the cap. That hasn't been made clear. But um, it's going to have an impact on definitely possibly the quality and the, the type of players. Um, right now, I know clubs are negotiating with a lot of players, but we're going to see some changes and it'll probably be a different A-League. But look, I think on the broader side, we may see a lot of young players get an opportunity finally. And one of the big issues is younger players in Australia are not getting enough games. And, one of, and maybe this time in this season, they'll get those games to be able to really get their careers going and reach high level. And also for Australian A-League fans to see some new exciting talent. Yeah, that's so. And of course, it's one of the reasons why, uh, um, from the A League perspective, they've been they've been pushing. I mean, the National Youth League has just been too short for anybody. It's a bit like I agree. A bit like the W League. It's just too short a season. But it's another reason why, of course, the National Second Division um, and the idea behind that. Let's put aside the finances for one moment. But of course, that's critically critically important. But National Second Division, of course, whether for men and women or just men or women, um, would give so much more opportunity to so many players. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see how, how we end up. I mean, I, I noticed that Sydney FC, um, you know, during the week they announced that they had come to um, an agreement with their players, um, almost as if it was a bilateral agreement rather outside of the CBA. So that's a fascinating development as well. I think, Benita, also there is... And I've been speaking to a lot of overseas agents and clubs. There's a lot of free players, mm. a lot of unemployed players. Um, in, in, at the end of the English season, um, one and a half thousand players were out of contract within the four or five major divisions there. A lot of players in Europe um, don't have opportunities because there's, the other impact of COVID is squad cuts. So um, less senior players and maybe those extra spots will be taken by academy or youth players. So a lot of experienced players who um, are, are free agents and there's, and, 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 and you've got markets in Asia that were quite lucrative as well. They're closed. Indonesia's season was suspended. Malaysia's back on. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of um, logistical issues, but also uh, financial issues, which have a big impact. And we're getting, a lot of interest from overseas players now that most of the um, major window transfer windows in England and in Europe have closed. A lot of players asking about Australia, but with budgets of 2.1 million, there's not much leeway. Not much there, exactly. No, unless unless there is something done about the marquee fund. And I mean, I think a lot of Australian, a lot of A League supporters would have liked to seen the salary cap go as well. Um, you know, so so what? We have a couple of rich, big rich teams and we have those who are not so rich because it's not that much different to what we've got anyway. I mean, everybody knows in the A-League which are the wealthier and, and uh, wealthier teams who are inclined to spend more money 
and those which are just spending the bare minimum of the salary cap. Yes, I mean, each team should be entitled to sort of have its own sort of approach, its own model. Some some teams may want, and we see that in Europe a lot, some teams are about developing talent. Some teams are more about buying players, transferring players, building a team that can win competitions. So it all brings something to the table. Um, if you ha- um, Basically, a lot of the arguments around the salary cap about about the competition being even and all that. And as you mentioned, lately we've had a few teams, especially Sydney FC, dominate quite. And even though the salary ranges are similar to other teams, so um, maybe it is allow more investment, allow more people to get um, involved and allow teams to run according to their philosophy and goals and objectives in, in terms yeah. of the talent. It's a fascinating thing, that tribute. I mean, I, and I, I say this as a card-carrying member of Sydney FC, so it's not anti-Sydney FC at all, but um, I've often wondered, and I've said this to Steve Corrick as wife well, because we go to the same gym, I've often wondered whether one of the issues with the A-League is that Sydney FC keeps winning. Um, you, you know, there's just so much certainty around, oh, well, Sydney FC's in the finals and Sydney FC's in the grand final and Sydney FC wins yet again. Do you, you know, from a marketing perspective, from, do you think that matters? I, I mean, put, and putting aside the, you know, how Sydney FC fans might, might feel about that, but do you think that means anything, what matters at all? I think it does. I think stories matter. I mean, if you look at when the A-League, they said, was more, uh, more exciting, when Central Coast were developing all these young players and cl- won the competition once and got close on a few other occasions, when you saw... Um, Adelaide play a very exciting brand of football and so did Brisbane and, and people were very excited and not, not just about them winning but both of them played a very interesting brand of football and brought in also some young players. Um, you need those kind of um, stories and you also need stories of young players when Azani and a few others really coming through, people were paying a lot of attention to those players. And then you had Western Sydney their first year, mm. um, you know, the atmosphere – nearly winning the title, um, the Asian success. Um, basically, we had a lot of mix, whereas now maybe the last two, three years, and Sydney FC, fantastic organisation, really professional. Um, they do very well, but it's about stories. And we had a lot more stories back then uh, from different teams um, than maybe we do now, um, right now, in terms of the competitive balance and the and the domination maybe from one, two teams recently. Yeah. Um, we're, we're one of the reasons that we're talking to you, besides the fact that it's really fascinating to talk to someone like you who's an agent, it's a really different and good perspective. But you earlier this year we published um, at Fair Play Publishing your Australian Youth Footballer Regulatory Guide, which is um, a really, really useful, almost like a guidebook um, publication available uh, as a, an e-publication either as a pdf or for um, apple devices or for kindle but tell us why you thought that was necessary to write that i've um i've been an agent what 10 15 maybe over 10 years i had a fifa license um in terms of before april 2015 we used to have fifa licenses so we had exam we had um professional indemnity insurance we had a code of conduct and we had we had the um, we could work all over the world because we had also uh, we had it through the Football Federation Australia, but also FIFA recognised. Ever since that changed to intermediaries, 
post April 215. Um, it's really, first of all, opened the market. There is, um, there's no exam anymore. There's, um, it's really just registering its intermediary and fulfilling some declarations and paying a fee. Secondly, you can't, in order to operate in different countries, you need to, um, you need to basically um, register in different countries. So it makes the business quite difficult. But, but the reason for the guide is I'm also a lawyer and I've provided some football law advice and I write for a football law journal, Football Legal. Over the last 10, 12 years, Australians are very aspirational. And um, the parents' aspirations, the players are very aspirational, we're very outward-looking. So a lot of players are looking to um, opportunities, whether it's A-League or overseas, especially young players. Um, and, we, you know, we had a youth league developing young players. We had the IAS. We've got MPL trying to push through. And, 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 and as part of that, a lot of, them, a lot of players and parents and young footballers looking for the professional contract um, were heading overseas and all dealing with the A-League because they had different rules on um, different scholarship players, et cetera. And I was getting a lot of questions from young parents and players. And the questions related to a lot of important things because you would go overseas, but you couldn't, you got an opportunity, but you couldn't register because it was the transfer window or you didn't have the right passport or the Australian club wouldn't um, want a training compensation, um, various reasons. And then in terms of the scholarship structures in Australia, there's only so many, what clauses should be there. And it wasn't just parents and players. I've, I've done a lot of work with a lot of agents because maybe I'm one of the few lawyers and I'm also okay. as president, I've been president for the Australian, Australian Football Agent Association for a long time, so I provide that advisory service. So what I thought was, yes, there is um, a lot of information about clubs, about scouting. We see Scout, we see Instat. There's a lot of information about um, academies. But one thing that's missing, it's probably the most important thing, is the regulatory framework. Now, FIFA publishes a lot of documents, and they just published a miners guide where players under 18 can go overseas. But that's very detailed. Um, so what, what I thought was, um, I've seen, and I've got, I've got, uh, I've got um, an Excel spreadsheet with over close to a thousand players, a lot of young players. NPL players in one that I've had dealings with over the last 10 years and a lot of them haven't had the right tools and information and made decisions that necessarily weren't in their best interest. So what I thought, and, you know, um, I, I want to support Australian football. I wanted to put something out there to really raise the benchmarks and the standards and to give an easy guide to parents and players. So I came up, I thought, Okay, and maybe because also I, I work as a regulatory lawyer at, um, at ASIC, the Australian Securities Investments Commission. We have guides there to help people navigate. I thought the idea was here to come up with a guide for Australian youth footballers who don't have experience in negotiation, but also for agents. A lot of agents aren't aware of everything. And so I, the, the and guide... And parents. And parents, of course, because yeah. parents are paying a lot of money. People forget that... Australian parents pay a lot of money, not just for NPL, um, but also overseas. A lot of parents want to see if there's an opportunity in Spain to try an academy and all that. We see so many kids going over. So the guide is really twofold to give you the Australian background and the pathway and the opportunities, but also overseas because I see so many Australians seeking overseas opportunities. And it really, I've made it as simple as possible. So it can be, it's not a legal guide. It's very pitched at a sole information where you can pick little things 
and ask the right questions. You can always come back and ask an agent or someone like myself if you need further clarification, but really to guide you to make the right decisions and empower parents, players, even coaches with the right information. And that's the goal of the guide um, because there was nothing out there. No, and look, I think it fills a really good need and I can only endorse the fact that it, it is written from a layperson's perspective, which um, congratulations to you because as someone who is a lawyer and who deals with these issues every day, you've done very well to put it into layperson's language because um, with due respect to all the lawyers listening, that doesn't <laughs> not all lawyers are very good at that. Um, you made an interesting comment though at the outset of, of that response and that is that uh, Australian football people, particularly parents and players, are very aspirational. Do you think we've sold too much of the dream and there's too many kids who are on parents who are aspirational and shouldn't be? Or do you think it's good to have that aspiration? Look, I think it's good to have the aspiration. I think Australians are very positive and we want to look at opportunities. Um, but in football, it's, it's become much more difficult um, Australia, I mean, there's a lot of discussion why we're not developing as many good players as we did during the golden generation, and that's for various reasons. It's because everyone now is heading to Europe, players from everywhere, where unlike 20 years ago, there was a lot more, say, Australians or Scottish or Irish in the Premier League, but now you don't have as many as that because it's a lot of international players from everywhere. But I think at the end of the day, it's very difficult to become a professional player you're looking at between 1% to 5% maximum of the talented players in the under 12, 13, 14. I'm only talking male now. If yep. a talented female, right now the pathway is much brighter because yep. a lot more, if you're a really talented female W League player, NPL player, W League player, or obviously if you're Matilda, it's, you're really doing well and getting great well, opportunities. Well, Joyce, if you're a Matilda. Yeah, but yep. the women's pathway if you're very talented right now in terms of a chance of succeeding in a professional environment, as women's football grows, it's much, uh, not easy, I shouldn't say we use the term easier, but I think there's more opportunities. In the, the young footballers, there are just so many, there's not that many opportunities. And also, Australia right now, we are reputationally, not as strong as we once were in the youth footballers or even um, uh, what footballers were developing. Parents need, you know, and a coach told me the other day, um, probably about two weeks ago, that unless the footballer is really, really talented, top 5%, rather go maybe to university or do some study because it's such a difficult pathway. And the other key thing is for, if an Australian player goes overseas or a youth player, they need to be at least 10, 15% better than the local player. There's that pressure because if they're the same, they'll go for the local player. So. We need, there is a lot of things that need to be considered to, to really be able to succeed in the pathway. But talent and attitude and just a lot of th things matter, but also a bit of luck, sometimes right place, right time, right club. But it's a very difficult pathway right now. Uh, but also, as you say, um, one, improving the pathway itself and improving our elite player development and, two, giving more players more opportunities. I mean, if you talk to someone like Graham Arnold, that's the point he hammers all the time is that, not enough players are getting enough opportunity. And, uh, you know, I know from having spoken with him that um, he's a keen supporter, for example, of a national second division for that very reason. He'd so like, am I, yes. Yeah, he'd I like agree. to see more players get more opportunity. 
Um, how, how many agents or rather FIFA intermediaries are there in Australia today? In Australia, probably about 65 mm-hmm. registered, but I would say over 100. Unfortunately, right now, um, it's not a very regulated environment. Um, there, there are a lot of people acting as intermediaries. And then in the worldwide, it's just exploded as well. Do you, do you um, think that, you know, I sense from what you're saying that you think that, um, and, and intuitively I would think that the fact that there's less regulation is actually a bad thing. Um, do you think there needs to be more regulation around player agents or intermediaries? Yes, yes. I think um, there's got to be certain more standards and regulation. In fact, FIFA now it has has looked at this issue because they decided to regulate or change it to intermediaries from the licensing agent um, framework they had before. They're bringing in changes next year um, and those changes are going to be back on, back with licensing, back with um, rep, um, certain type of representation where you can do dual like coach and player when you would have conflicts. They're looking at commission caps on fees um, and more importantly, they're actually looking at the agents um, as part of the transfer, for instance, goes through a clearinghouse where all payments and all contracts go through one central depository through FIFA. This is for the international so they can monitor compliance, monitor who's getting paid what. I think that's going to be a game changer because that will enable um, FIFA to monitor and um, look at what's going on in the market and seeing what's happening in the intermediaries um, space. A lot of intermediaries do very good work. However, there's a lot who um, are able to, um, without having the training, without having the contacts, without having the um, uh, having the knowledge of um, the regulations, can make it difficult for players. And this is because the market's flooded. It makes um, and it's a difficult situation now for players to choose intermediaries. And I would say you really got to look at track records. You've got to look at the intermediaries who have, have, have experience because there's just too many and too much, too much going on in the market that makes it difficult right now. But we need regulation. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And I'm pleased to hear that they're tightening up on that because just a quick look even at some of the list of intermediaries in Australia, um, you know, without reflecting on individuals, you sort of think how, what do they, what do they know about this space? I'm not saying they don't know stuff about football, but just... You know, you do, as as your Australian Youth Footballer Regulatory Guide shows, it's extraordinarily helpful if you actually know what things such as a regulatory framework are and how the football ecosystem, to use an FFA term, works. So um, whereas some people now, it's almost as if they can um, put out a shingle saying FIFA intermediary and, and that's it. That's all they need to do. Exactly, exactly. There's, and that, there's not continuous education. There's, I mean, I, um, I'm co-president of the Australian Football Agents Association. So I share, um, as part of that, we share to our members, we share a lot of information what's happening in Europe because we're also a member of the European Football Agents Association and they produce a lot of information about what's happening in different countries, case studies, etc. So we share that. Um, but there's a lot of people who don't have that information, don't know the regulatory changes, don't know how to work, do business. Each country is also different as an intermediary Belgium's different to Germany, um, as is Japan's different to um, England. So a lot of things that um, you need to know, it, it's, it, it's, as much as an international business, 
it's also country by country. In I mean, in Italy and France, they have exams. You have to pass interviews. They're very strict. But a lot of other countries, it's very loose, and that's where problems arise. Yeah, and we've all heard of some of the famous stories about um, agents, as they were called, um, having very, very, very large paydays <laughs> from some of their clients. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I mean, the average... Someone the from average, comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, the average, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of agents who, yeah, they do get a lot of money, but the average um, commission's about 6.8% generally yeah. worldwide if you put everything together. Yeah, so... Is, um, a fair commission. In fact, if anything, it's probably a little bit... Uh, lower than you might expect. I think many people listening to this would expect it was more. Yeah, just around that. And the other thing is FIFA came out with some um, researchers, 50 to 51% of the players are earning less than $50,000 worldwide, professional players. So sometimes we see these extraordinary wages, but that's only in certain leagues. Yeah, it's a very elite of elite. Yeah, and one thing about Australia, the A-League, is... And although people say the standard may be not as good as certain other leagues, but two things, players get paid generally. Um, It's a good environment and the salaries are quite high in the sense of um, the minimum salary is going to probably be $63,000, right, Um, which is more than the FIFA, you know, 50% of what FIFA said players are getting as professionals, 50000 or lower. So the, the conditions here are quite good, but it's very difficult for players because Australia is also quite expensive country and all these other factors um, come into play. But um, our league is, you know, we've, we've got certain things that attract players. Yeah, and, and that's an issue too around the salary cap as well when you think about it because some of our cities are more expensive than other cities. That's not something that's disputable. It's a fact. Um, and yet if you're running a salary cap, the expenses of living in, for instance, Sydney or Melbourne are going to far outweigh the expense of living in Adelaide. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, the same salary cap applies. Uh, and, exactly. of course, the a- average salary in the A-League is far and away above that $50,000 average that you mentioned. It is. The, the, the issue with Australia is, and with the A-League is, here we pay gross, yeah. um, whereas a lot of offers in Europe are net, mm-hmm. and they may also include accommodation and other bonuses, whereas here we don't have as many bonuses we have some relocation allowances for players. Um, accommodation after maybe an initial period has to be paid by the player. So when you've got, um, yes, the salaries are high in a certain extent, they're crossed. So the tax that comes out is quite high and then a lot of expenses have to be paid. Whereas in Europe, when you negotiate in a lot of countries, you negotiate a net wage and the club will pay the tax office directly. So you know what net you're getting. And I think that's, one confusion, a lot of foreign players who want to come here, and I've seen it quite often, they don't realise, yeah, it might be 150, 200,000, but that's gross. So, yeah. and that makes it difficult if, um, because a lot of expenses come out of that besides tax. Yeah, and, and even so, I'm just thinking, having had the budget, federal budget recently, you'd have to keep on top of that too to see what the tax cuts are <laughs> at different salary levels. Because that would exactly. what the player takes home. And that's one thing, The I mean, a player agent is not just about negotiating the contract. You have to look at the, the accommodation. You have to look at the tax scenario. Um, a lot of it's doing foreign players, they leave. Do they take their super? Vice versa, when an Australian player relocates to another country for one or two years, then are they domiciled here anymore for tax purposes? Do they have a connection? 
because the ATO may look at that or is the connection cut off and they're permanently for two, three years overseas. So all you need, that's where you, as a professional, you need to have your accounting accountants as well involved in some of these because tax is a big thing um, and can have big implications whether players coming here or players going overseas. Yeah, yeah, and and what sort of business structure they set themselves up in and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, fascinating. Exactly. Well, I, I think actually we could talk for ages about these things, but we have come to, to our time for today's Football Insiders podcast. And, Peter, I'd like to thank you very much for your time um, and also, again, say in relation to the Australian Youth Footballer Regulatory Guide, it's a short read, a quick read, but for those of you who are interested in these issues around the regulations for football and especially for young people or if you know a young person who's hoping to have a football career it really is a must read and you can get it from fairplaypublishing.com.au so peter all the best with the rest of the shutdown and thank you again for your time we look forward to catching up sometime soon thank you um and i will be starting working on edition two because it's going to be a lot of changes of the guide and i um, really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and also to fair play for publishing the guide. Um, I really appreciate that for supporting me. And um, But the guide's there to support all young Australian footballers. And I'm hoping in the second edition, there'll be a more focus also on the women's side because that's becoming professional as well. So and maybe, we might have um, another whole conversation about that down there. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. For sure. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And with that, we say farewell for today. Just a reminder, if you have not, purchase tickets to the Football Writers Festival on November 21 and 22 in beautiful downtown Manly in Sydney. Tickets must be bought before you can come. It's a ticketed event because of COVID restrictions. You can buy the tickets, $15 for two days, footballwritersfestival.com.au. That has every bit of information you could possibly want about it, the program, the speakers, and various bits and pieces of information you need to make a great weekend of it. And if you're looking for some really good football books, you know where to go, fairplaypublishing.com.au. Until next time, stay safe, keep well, and we'll talk then. Thanks for listening to Football Insiders from the team behind Fair Play Publishing, home of the Football Writers Festival. Be the first to get inside access by subscribing. And to get more, head to fairplaypublishing.com.au.